That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to an extremely special episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Um, I'm Brian McCullough, as always. And um, my co-host, as always, Chris Messina, is here. Chris. Howdy, howdy. Glad to be here. I'm very excited to be part of this World Cup of Entrepreneurs. That's right. This is something we've never done before. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The whole process thus far has been a lot of fun. Um, but we are going to figure out who the Ne Plus Ultra entrepreneur of, say, the last 30 years is. And to help us do that, um, we have the boys from the Acquired podcast. Um, and I'll let them introduce themselves individually. Like let, Ben, you go first. Brian, thanks for having us. Feels like we've got the uh, the super group of podcasters here. So excited to uh, to be a part of it. Hey, everyone. I'm Ben Gilbert. I am the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs, a startup studio and venture fund in Seattle, and the uh, less dulcet tone half of the Acquired podcast, <laughs> co-hosted by uh, my co-host, David. First in our hearts. First in our hearts. <laughs> David, I'm over David. to you. I'm David Rosenthal. Uh, I am the... Uh, more dulcet half of the acquired podcast, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. I'll, I'll use that from now on. Uh, I'm an angel investor based in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having us on here. This is going to be so much fun. Anybody who listens to acquired knows that uh, we do like insane amounts of preparation and like everything is scripted to the like T and like, uh, not like word for word scripted, but um, uh, we love doing stuff like this where we get to just like pontificate without doing research. So thank you. <laughs> well, and Off let me cuff. say that um, Ben and I were talking, I think it was five years ago, we did an episode together early on in right. both of our podcasting careers. Um, and I I want to specifically mention this because I listened recently to your two-part history of Andreessen Horowitz, um, where you were kind enough to mention some of my early research when I from the Internet History Podcast. And I do have one bone to pick with you too. Oh, go for it. it comes. Here's the problem. You guys figured I'm out. Glad we're getting the arguing out of the way now so that we can <laughs> yeah. all agree on the picks later. <laughs> you guys now. came up with the, with the concept or the term that Al Gore was Mark Andreessen's VC. And that's like the most perfect way to put it. So I'm pissed at you guys. Because I did a whole episode about like, did Al Gore really invent the internet and things like that? But yes, like, I remember that one. Putting putting that in those terms was cute enough that I wish it was in my book. I wish I had thought of it myself. So, screw you guys. Second edition. <laughs> Second edition. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, thank you, Brad. Yes. Yes. I listen. the The acquired podcast is not an acquired taste. It is an essential listen, um, and uh, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Uh, Okay, so a lot of people, most people, would be regular listeners to the show. So you would know that over the last two weeks, we have been doing a World Cup of Entrepreneurs sort of brackets voting thing on Twitter. Um, 16 entered, only one came out of the Thunderdome. Um, and essentially what we're going to do is go through each of the matchups and we're going to talk about the person that lost um, in that matchup. And then that will allow us to eventually get through everyone until we get to the one that was left standing. Um, By the way, Brian, when you first explained that to me, I was like, it didn't quite make sense. And then I realized, oh, because in like the NCAA tournament of 64, there's 63 losers. So if you mm -hmm. just talk about the losers <laughs> enough, you eventually cover all but the winner. All of them. Right. Well, and the only winner that, well, right, that we'll talk about when they win, the, 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 the person that we talk about last will be the winner, right? So to, that's a way to queue up that um, we're going to have to talk Everybody's about... Everybody's got to listen to the yeah, end. Yeah, they got to wait. I like this. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> exactly. So, right. We have our first matchup, and we're going to talk about the loser of that first matchup. The first matchup was... And by the way, this was voted on by uh, listeners on Twitter, 
randos on Twitter, people on Twitter. Um, the matchup was Evan Spiegel of Snap, Snapchat, whatever you want to call it, versus Reed Hastings of Netflix. Um, Reed won this 84.5% to Evan's 15.5%. And so, uh, again, what we're going to do is talk about Evan first. And here's how I'd like to kick it off. Um, I kind of feel like this should have been closer. We can argue about why it wasn't closer. Um, here's, here's my bull case for Evan Spiegel as a great entrepreneur. Um, how many people have created product? What, what, what would be the term, Chris? What, what would you call like stories or, or even before that, like, you know, ephemeral messaging and things like that? It's a, it's a, it's a new medium, right? That's right. It takes advantage of an emerging technology as that technology is still being deciphered or used. Uh, he's like in the, the chief product culture. officer for the internet. Yeah, right. right. Well, for Facebook, certainly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's almost better than Jack Dorsey, right? Like, you know, he doesn't even get to be CEO of both companies. Now, do we know, I mean, I guess, does anyone know the story behind that? Like, it's not necessarily that Evan is the one that came up with stories or ephemeral messages. I mean, obviously, you know, early on, ephemeral messaging as the as I think what, 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 what Evan probably gets credit for is opening to the camera by default. And so mm. every other, and, and part of this had to do with, I think, the iPhone getting to a place where it was stable enough, where, you know, the camera wouldn't crash and stuff like that, and it was performant. And so... That was just unorthodox because you kind of had to like first start with content and then it would load a feed typically, whether that was Instagram or it was Facebook or Twitter. And then, and also remember the, the assumption was that people were more consumers. You know, the, the 90, 10, one rule of social media is that 90% of people are just there to consume. And, you know, 1% of the people are actually content creators. This changed that whole dynamic by turning the camera into a communication device and assuming that a new and younger generation would find it easier to communicate visually through the camera as opposed to sending text messages or anything else. So that was, you know, I don't think it's enough to say stories was the innovation. It was really thinking differently about communication from a generational perspective. Oh man, that's such a good point. Like uh, <laughs> before Snapchat, yeah, the, the, like it really was, you know, I think now about like the percentage, actually, I, I, well, I don't know what the percentage of uh, producers versus just consumers is mm. on like Twitter or Instagram or the like, but like mm. no question in my mind that it is vastly higher than it was pre-Snapchat and it is all thanks to Snapchat. Taking that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of right. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and also I think like there was like a preciousness about photos before, where if you took a photo, especially if you were coming out of like the Kodak era where you actually used film, then every image that you took needed to be something that was like good and worthy. And everything that you shared on Instagram was curated. And so this, like the ephemerality was a kind of response to the abundance of communicating through visual images. So it, it really didn't make sense to hold on to everything anymore. Whereas before it was, you know, sacred to have these uh, digital artifacts, what I think Evan realized was, you know, we don't save all of our phone calls. So why would you save all of your, you know, photos that are being shared? Ben, let me, let me ask you this on a straight um, entrepreneur sort of uh, level. He, Evan's also famous for not selling to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> um, and like, let's think of that from the pure entrepreneur standpoint of turning down billions of dollars, being the, being able to say no and being like, I'm going to build a social media company that will, that will thrive. It has been thriving and has, as an entrepreneur, we remember when, when, when snap stock recently was under, was in single digits and things like that to have those diamond hands to use common parlance now <laughs> to yes. believe in your vision. Like that's a rare thing. Yeah. And the grand irony of it all is that maybe the only person who has performed that same exact act of saying, no, I'm going to go build a social media company of my own that's going to be worth billions, multiple billions, maybe even trillions, and I'm going to turn down your billion dollar offer was Mark Zuckerberg just a decade before. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, the, the famous, of course, crying in the bathroom uh, after turning down the billion dollar offer by Yahoo. Vomiting, by Facebook. vomiting in the bathroom. 
Uh, I can't, I'm, I'm sure that the, there may have been many other things. There are lots of but, bodily fluids <laughs> involved. No, but, but Brian, you, you raise a great point. And, and even very recently, like I just looked it up, uh, Snap is a $116 billion market cap company. People had counted them down and out, uh, obviously, so many a lot times. of times. But think about when Instagram launched stories. And there was sort of that, that admission right. to Chris's point that, geez, Instagram is a museum and Snap is a bar. And the bar is way more mm. fun to hang out than the museum. And of course, it's it's we're losing a lot of users to it. And of course, they clone snor- stories. And what that did in the three, six months after cloning stories was Snap had penetrated the US in a big way. And Instagram launching this basically cut off the need for people to ever download Snap internationally because they could get the same functionality out of Instagram where they already had that multi-billion dollar uh, install base. And so it is really amazing that despite that just gnarly move by Facebook and Instagram to to cut off that growth opportunity, they're still a $100 billion plus company now and have overcome it. Let me um, let me play the pundit here a little bit, um, like a sports pundit, and say that, you know, if uh, uh, I think that this is a the result is a bit unfair to Evan. Like I would, if if I were the one, you know, voting, I would say that he probably should have advanced further in the tournament uh, for, for all the reasons just said, but then also for that last bit too about how, you know, it's not just that he has a company that that that. Um, reaches scale, then goes public, but then also has troubles and then can can theoretically fix those troubles and 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 continue to thrive and things like that. Um the I'm gonna move on to play can I get one quick thing before yes, we move go on. Go ahead, David. Am I allowed? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh just a meta point that I think we talk about this. We've been talking about this a lot on acquired recently, but uh Evan and Snap is such a great example to me of like why startups are important. You know, like it would be such a sad world if only Facebook could only yes. be the only ones innovating in social because none of this ever would have happened. Well, and, and, like, and because it's better you know, for everybody. <laughs> Facebook would had Evan not had Diamond Hands uh, own Instagram and Snap. You know, so like it's almost like and that was before stories, right? So like, right. no, yeah, no stories if that happened. So it's almost like uh, Gandalf style. Evan was the one that stood there in the breach and said, you "No, know, this era is not going to evolve the way that you think it will." You <laughs> Balrog, you. Um, the <laughs> David liked that one. Uh, the all right, I am moving on to try to to try to produce this as best I can, so we're not here for five hours. Um, the the next matchup was. Um, <clears throat> Jack Ma versus Jeff Bezos. Um, and I kind of randomized the matchups, but then if I saw a theme that worked, I, I wanted to do the theme. Um, Jeff Bezos won 74% to 26%. Um, but I, I wanted to match them up because in a way, the cheap thing to say about Jack Ma is that he took the Bezos playbook and took it to China. Um, not just the Bezos playbook, but the the Silicon Valley startup playbook. Um, thoughts on that as a theme for matching up? I think the easy and dare I say lazy take is you're comparing Amazon to China's Amazon. And I think the 74% voting for Jeff Bezos and the 26% voting for Jack Ma is frankly, representative of who follows you on Twitter. The sample size. Yeah. yeah. And, and the sample source. I mean, we could... Uh, th- look, I, I think Jeff Bezos should win this. Like, look at market cap alone. I, I think... Well, this is like, like getting seated against, you know, like Duke in the in the tournament. Like, you know, you, yeah, Jack... It's, Jack it's an unfortunate... Pulled a rough draw here. <laughs> but but I think it's worth acknowledging what a different company Alibaba is uh, than, than Amazon. I mean, in, in a... The biggest one is their B2B business. I mean, Alibaba moves a tremendous amount of merchandise through a B2B e-commerce experience of which doesn't really exist in the US yet. Like Amazon business is a thing and you you can order from, order from it as a business, but like the B2B commerce market is much larger than the B2C commerce market and Amazon has not been successful at shifting e-commerce online for B2B in the US. Yeah, Alibaba has a sales force <laughs> for their core marketplace. Like uh, Amazon doesn't have a sales force for their marketplace. And I mean, look, uh, in theory, the you know Jeff Bezos also was early in a market, but you know Jeff Bezos is early in a market in uh, the West, in the U.S., or whatever. Consider the also 
complicating factor of Jack Ma bringing entrepreneurialism and, you know, uh, the Silicon Valley style entrepreneurialism to China in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like that is breaking ground that is, you know, apocal, essentially. Like one thing that's that's missing from this a little bit, though, and and this is more my ignorance. I think uh, more than anything, you know, is I don't know what sort of business practices or concepts Jack Ma sort of brought to the world that then were socialized and popularized elsewhere. And one that I'm thinking of in particular, and this isn't meant to sort of be, you know, singing Bezos's praise, but the way in which like Bezos sort of required product direction to be done through written testimony effectively to sort of write the whatever the three-page document have people read it in silence and then to socialize that i don't i, I mean i'm sure jack ma had very similarly powerful and important tactics but i wonder to what degree those tactics were actually adopted by other companies in china versus uh the way in which amazon uh, and its uh aggressiveness and some of its techniques were socialized within the American business. Have, have you guys done Alibaba Unacquired? Pardon my ignorance on that. We, yes. It was a few have. years ago, though. I think I, we may get called out for this for people that know better, but I think it's fair to credit Jack Ma with popularizing the 996. Mm, I think I was that, say that yep. yeah, the, the, the notion that like Chinese companies move much faster than their American counterparts. I was going to say you should you should unpack that a little bit, like for the yeah. listeners, because I know that it's something at TikTok um, that is current today. So maybe that is a, an example of that cultural phenomenon uh, that was that was socialized. So so what 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 is that? Working ninety nine hours per week. Uh, no no uh, nine a.m. to nine p.m. Oh, you're right. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah Not nine to nine six days <laughs> a week. Which I don't. Maybe that is around. It might be hours. about ninety nine hours. I don't know. Yeah. But, More than but 40, this, like, that's for sure. just we will win because we will outwork our competition. And of course, uh, in such a competitive country where you have so many people, you have a the the very recent rise of uh, of the middle class. You have a special economic zone, so you know capitalism in a in a very you know small and different way is very new to the country. Um, you know, you, you have a whole bunch of people pursuing an opportunity concurrently. And the reason that everyone's so focused on a single opportunity is a top-down mandate. The, the, the country deciding, the party deciding that, hey, this is one of five categories. It's very important to us right now. And so when you have someone like Jack Ma that's sort of saying, well, we're going to win by working this absurd amount. And of course, this is a couple decades ago. Uh, it, it then sort of raises the bar. And when you have so many people competing, they're all going to be at that bar. And you end up with the sort of state of startups that you have in China these days. Um, I'm going to move on real quick because I, I you know, Jack is having issues. I, I just want to say that Jack. You mean like, vanishing issues? Yeah, yeah I was gonna that's say. the problem. <laughs> um, Jack was the first sort of face of like, you know, Silicon Valley style tech startup entrepreneurship in China. And he also might be the first one out to pasture. But I don't know. Um, uh, moving on to matchup number three, because that is our first upset. Now, if you're looking at the email that I sent you, I got the numbers wrong. Um, the matchup is Mark Zuckerberg versus Jack Dorsey. And Mark Zuckerberg loses. Um, Jack oh. Dorsey got 71.1% of the vote. Mark Zuckerberg well, only got You did 20. this on Twitter, so... <laughs> okay, understood. <laughs> you if saying I... Jack logged in and tipped the scale? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, but look, to bring... You know, David mentioned seeds. Like, if, if I had thought of this as a seeded tournament, for sure Mark Zuckerberg would have been one of the seeds, right? Um, I am genuinely surprised uh, that... Dorsey beat Zuck. And if you I hosted this on Facebook for the poll, I wonder if anybody would have actually participated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Maybe Over 45 only. Only 45. I'll, I'll tell you what, let's address, let's address the upset first, and then we can give Zuck his due as a as yep. an entrepreneur yep. at the end. Could it just come down to people don't like Zuck? Uh, yes. Likely. Yes. I think if yeah. I think if you had run this poll in uh 1994 uh, and you had bill gates in there like bill gates would have gotten mm. unseated in the first round too mm. Mm. well now having said that 
Jack Dorsey is not exactly known. There are people that don't think Jack Dorsey is a great business leader, uh, decision maker. Um, so in a way, I don't remember if I consciously put these two, I think I put these two against each other because like Twitter represented the first sort of threat to the social media model that Zuckerberg had, uh, had created. But at the same time, and, and you can argue that Jack, of course, has created two companies. Um, so I guess maybe if I'm, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, the argument against Zuck as a great entrepreneur would be that he had one good idea. Now, you can uh, argue... That's not even true. That's not true. Okay, Chris, take it. He didn't have any ideas. They were all <laughs> oh, other people's ideas. Oh, he had Wirehog. That was a good... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was built on Napster or like, (laughs) I mean, honestly, like to give Zuck his due, he's probably the best at stealing ideas and surfing behavior and seeing what's happening next. I mean, he is, you know, like, I hope he and his heirs never hear this, but like, he's probably (laughs) like the least inventive person ever. And yet the sort of smarmiest of them all by monetizing, capitalizing and building on them. Like he is truly Bill Gates, the second coming. He is like Caesar's heir, uh, you know, given that he wants to build an empire. This is the World Cup of entrepreneurs. This is the World (laughs) Cup of like nice guys. What's the goal? I'm just look, people voted on this. I'm not saying the people who are right or wrong. I mean, you know, Zuckerberg is the guy that would shank you, you know, if he got the chance and then, you know, claim that it was the the Snapchat guy. Yeah, but I'm with Ben there. Like, that's what an entrepreneur should do. He should be willing to shank. Um, well, the, the consequence of that is people aren't going to like you. And so you're, you're yeah. going to lose Twitter popularity contests. <laughs> yeah. So there but you go. I, I think so Zuck Zuck having the last laugh here. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think so. Let me, let me, let me, I guess, is this playing devil's advocate for Zuck? Um, there's a famous <laughs> story where um, when Zuckerberg turns down the Yahoo offer or the one of one of the many billion dollar offers. He says the reason that he's going to turn it down is because if he if he did take the money, he'd just take it and start another social network and he already likes the one he has, right? Okay. This is probably not going to help his case, but there are certain entrepreneurs that can see um clearly one vision and can execute it on it perfectly, whether it be you you're Rockefeller and you see that oil is going to power the the 20th century um next acquired episode foreshadowing okay there you go like so it's like there are there are several cases like who uh who's the guy in New York real estate that just realized that Manhattan is an island so you buy real estate it's eventually going to go all the way to the top um it's, it's like having that vision and executing on it and not wavering from it that is kind of the sign of a brilliant entrepreneur. Or I, yes, and I would even add on to that uh, a similar sign of a brilliant entrepreneur is being willing to do something that you see as the future when nobody else does around you, and that is the story of Zuck. Like the whole time, you know, uh, not so, dropping out of Harvard. That was like. Wow, that's crazy. Who does that? You know, not selling to Yahoo. That's crazy. Going public at a hundred billion dollar valuation. Crazy. And everything happening now. Like- and David, let me let me point out that again, this comes right after the dot-com bubbles bursting. There is not a precedent for people, again, to use the term diamond hands, for being that brave. Yep. You should take the billion dollars and run. People did, you know, like the fact that that um that uh, Amazon was until recently still controlled by its founder. Think of every other company that was founded in the nineties. That is not true necessarily. (laughs) So um, like the fact that he was the first, I would say that Mark Zuckerberg is the model for the modern concept of an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, the social network inspired so many people. It was the liar's poker of like our generation. Dude, for like five years when I would write code, I would do it to the social network soundtrack after <laughs> totally. that movie came out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chris, I mean, you were shaking your was. head when 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 David said that. Yeah, right? I just, you know, one of the reasons why I think the Twitterverse may not have been wrong is because I just can't think of Zuckerberg as an entrepreneur. <laughs> like he he's an empire builder. Like he and I what is an entrepreneur then? No, like an entrepreneur, like it's, it's French and basically it's, you know, someone who 
you know, makes bread and like, you know, from strange ingredients they have lying around, like to me, Zuckerberg, you know, saw the map as black and wanted to paint it blue, uh, you know, by moving his troops around. And so to evaluate him from convention, like what Brian's saying, yeah, like most of the time founders will leave after, you know, their 10, 15 year stint because they're bored or they're tired. They want to do something else. That has never been the case with Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg has always wanted to expand his empire. All roads lead back to Rome. The Facebook Connect, Beacon, all of the things that he built uh, yeah. into the platform were about expanding the influence as a dominant power. And I just can't evaluate him on the same, you know, kind of public company set of principles that I would other entrepreneurs. Can I, I'm going to put a pin on this one unless someone has one more thing to say, but I'm, you know what, Chris, I don't know if you and I have influenced each other on this, but I've come <laughs> around to, to psychoanalyzing Zuck that way, where I believe the theory that he played civilization and he loves civilization and he knows that he can't be a modern day Julius Caesar. He, he knows now he can't run for president, but he knows that also he is a modern he Caesar. Is, he is he doing is. it. He's doing it in the modern way. And so like you don't need an army anymore. You just need right. people to log into your website. You Does know, that there's that line in, that he was a stiff nut uh, growing up. A stiff nut? A what? Uh, he was a nut about civilization. Right. Oh. Yeah. He, yeah, he was. He said it. He said it in interviews. Yes. That's awesome. Um, so my theory to psychoanalyze him is... And also, he studied the classics. Right. The only like, courses that he actually like, finished in college were about the, like the Roman emperors, literature and Latin and like right. all that stuff. So my theory is maybe I'm typecasting too much, but I just I can't let. That no, I'm with go. you. This is I've come to this conclusion is that you know because the 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 really lazy thing to say is well why you know if I were in his position I've got all these billions of dollars I you know date beautiful people I'd buy yachts and stuff why does he still go to work every day It's because there's that right. line in the movie Heat where for me the action is the juice. One of the robbers says that to somebody yeah, else. Yeah. The action that is the juice for Zuck is people have to play in my game. People yes. have to play in my world. Why right. does he care about if you have to do your banking via the cryptocurrency he creates? Because that's the juice for him. Yeah. That's the Jack juice. Dorsey hangs so out guys, with like Jay-Z on argument. boats and stuff. You know? Yeah, like Zuck's, Zuck's like he does like little photo ops in Hawaii to like, you make it look like he's like, you know, an American or something like, you know, like, he's like, I just have to do this the versus oh, grilling you know? meats or something. Um, uh, <laughs> so, so your guys' ben, argument ben. to sum it up is, is uh, that Zuck is Caesar, but not, not Romulus and Remus. Mm. There you go. Right. Ben, what were you going to say? <laughs> I, I, it's almost like we first have to define what even word what the game is here because uh, the most extreme version of my argument is well let's just go look at the market cap of all of the companies that all these people founded and then we have an answer and we don't have to have a conversation here which it, you know it, it's is uh, a which is boring, one definition of but, success but b like it doesn't take the creativity into account like i and chris what you're sort of arguing is like part of entrepreneurship is you know, having an initial idea and then seeing that idea through and making something people want in YC's parlance and then, you know, figuring out how to both uh, capture value from what the thing that people want, but also create a ton of value in the world. And I think your argument is basically like, mm, not really sure this guy's growing the pie, but he sure has captured a lot of it. Yes. And also he's, and I think this is the last thing I'll say on, on, on this is I'm that with you. I'm he with has you. changed um, behavior. And that is the hardest thing to do in the world, which is to get people to go along with the way that you see the world and then to go and, and to embrace it. And all along, every step of the way, people have resisted the vision that Zuckerberg presented, and yet they went with it anyways. Like the newsfeed was the first example of this, where the whole team, like after there was like literally protests in the streets in Palo Alto against the newsfeed, and it started the whole conflagration <laughs> with privacy. Oh no, not Palo Alto. He, he doubled down. You know, he had his troops of, you know, his 300 troops with like Boz and like the rest of them. They had their shields up and their, their spears. Oh. And they came out and they decimated the whoever it was they were fighting. The well, that comes back to David's argument that, um, or who, who was making the argument that he is the, just the best at looking at the data and understanding. Me. Yeah. That was Chris, right? Or somebody. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's how I see. He, he basically is like observing because one, he's created the system to ingest all the data mm -hmm. to see how young people are operating 
And then he basically takes that and then makes it easier for them, for them to keep doing what they're already doing. So we saw people looking and snooping on each other's profiles and he basically productized that creepy behavior. And yeah. so then everyone's like, you know, it's like dogs, right? Like what you really want to do is you want to have like some, I don't know, this is going to get really weird all of a sudden, but you know, like the dogs just like sniff each other's butts, like humans do the same thing in different ways for like their profiles. And so he just built that system that automatically updated you. So whenever there was a fire hydrant that was peed on, you got a <laughs> notification. That's Facebook. Oh, that's so good. Um, Anyways, we, can we do on. One, one real quick digression yes, before we move please. on. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the battles on the streets of Palo Alto made me think of this. Uh, <laughs> did y'all see the uh, the social dilemma? Uh, I'm in it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You are in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's so like this, a cameo. This is like the seconds. perfect discussion. I want your thoughts on great movie. But yep. then the end of it, right? Where there's like the mean streets of Palo Alto and the kids get riled up and they're like, they're get, I'm like, I lived in Palo Like someone Alto. gets pushed down. You're that like, is not going down in Palo Alto. <laughs> I do not believe it for a second. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it undermined the whole movie. You know, it's sort of like, it's it's like the Sandy Brook thing. It's like, this is, this is not, anyways, I, I have a lot of problems with that movie. Um, and um, I think, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's important to raise the alarm to some degree. But the lack of personal accountability, uh, you know, that the movie sort of takes away. And then at the end, it's like, turn off notifications. It's like, like yeah. okay, not realistic. So, Or you're going to go to prison in Palo Alto? Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Let's move okay. on. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing... I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Yes, being the producer and moving on here, um, the next matchup was Katrina Lake versus Elon Musk. And this is one of those, again, which maybe was an unfair matchup, except I will say there were way worse um, losses um, in terms of the percentage. Um, Elon Musk won this matchup 78.1% to Katrina Lake's 21.9%. Um, ben, I think you might have been, when we were soliciting for like who the 16 should be, it might have been your idea to in include Katrina. And I can make some arguments for uh, why I wanted to include her as a representative of a bunch of things. But um, make your argument for Katrina as uh, a great entrepreneur. 
But yeah, I think, I mean, she's just built an unbelievable business in Stitch Fix. I think uh, there's a few, like if you look at her personally, I think she has this unbelievable combination of left brain, right brain, where she is so like clear on how all the financial statements like like she's financially savvy in a way that I feel a lot of founders sort of glaze over it. Like uh, most of the time when a seed stage founder is pitching for venture capital, they, they're not speaking ever in terms of cost of capital. If you're like, actually, it might be cheaper to raise debt than equity if you make a few assumptions, like most entrepreneurs are going to be like, huh, what do you mean? Do I get the money or not? I get the sense that Katrina has like always been an extremely financially savvy operator in addition to like having that je ne sais quoi that a founder has of to use it again, making something people want. So like, first of all, I I just have... Stitch Fix, if we didn't, I just wanted to make sure that we said Oh, good point. Stitch Fix, yes. Sorry, go on. So that's like about her personally. Now, Stitch Fix uh, as the business, I think has just blown away everyone's expectations of what it could become. I mean, I think there were a lot of uh, uh, clothing upstarts in the last 10, 15 years that had subscription boxes or had, uh, you know, uh, well, the Trunk Club was one that sold to Nordstrom. Yep. And this one, like, it just had so much more life and running room because of the way it integrated technology and like physical things in the real world that people need on the day to day basis. So I think there's a, a big component of the business was hiring a lot of the people uh, that built the Netflix recommendation algorithm to, to sort of be the, the data science arm of Stitch Fix. Um, and I've just been continually surprised, you know, year over year that this business continues to grow, continues to grow quickly um, and, and hasn't been a flash in the pan. Anyone else, David? Yeah, I mean, um, to Ben's point, uh, you know, also, you know, there's uh, <laughs> there's so many definitions of entrepreneur, right? But um, one other thing that uh, Ben you referenced, but that Katrina did, we, we, I think we talked about this a lot on our episode about them that most founders don't certainly didn't in her era. She was so incredibly capital efficient, like. She, I, I mean, I remember uh, I interned at Meritech, uh, which is a great uh, growth firm um, in Palo Alto when uh, my summer uh, in business school. And uh, we were like, you know, oh, Stitch Fix, like what a great company. Like we got to get uh, they're raising around and like, nope, not raising around. Don't need the money. They're cash flow positive, not going to sell equity. Uh, and like that was so, you know, contrarian uh, at the time. Uh, and uh you know, she didn't need it. She protected her cap table and like, uh, you know, it's done amazingly well. My argument for including her, and I know this is not an easy fit, is because it's not a, a D2C company. It's not a direct-to-consumer company. Um, sure it is. Well, not in the perfect sense of like, um, you know, uh, Warby Parker or something. Uh, it, it sort of rides that line between, like we've been saying, like the subscription. It... it I wanted, it's, a, it's a retailer. It's right. But the modern retailer where it is, you have that very close connection with your consumer. You have the subscription aspect to it. You have. So I thought that she was a perfect inclusion because she sort of melds all of those parts of like what modern commerce is and modern brands are. I mean, it also uh, feels like, you know, she was so good at understanding like the consumer, understanding the problem space, understanding technology and in this case, like a good entrepreneur being able to go all the way, you know, from soup to nuts, as they say, sort of from like the the highest level of the business and how to operate it down to the individual experience of getting the box and opening it and, you know, dressing yourself. And then the whole process of data enrichment. I mean, this was, you know, when Stitch Fitch was really coming up, it was pre-machine learning. And a lot of the techniques, you know, that Amazon and other, others have embraced to get better over time about how to create fashion that people, you know, want and that fits their style. Like that is something that I think she productized and brought kind of a, um, uh, what's it called? How do they make cars? They make cars on an assembly line. It's sort of like an assembly line mm, of yeah. fashion. And so bringing all those things together in a new conception of how commerce could happen, I think is, is really like the, the core insight. Um, and so I don't know. I, I liked what you guys said, and I think you know she definitely is one of those underappreciated female founders that deserves a whole lot more uh, credit and credibility. 
Yep. I'll, I'll because I'm the one who suggested it. I'll close the book and move us along here. Ultimately, like she's she's up against Elon Musk here. Elon Musk is the clear sort of winner in, in particular because Stitch Fix as a business is just not in the same category at all as any of these other businesses in terms of the scale and impact of it. Uh, particularly both the combination of SpaceX and Tesla. Yes, but as in World Cups, sometimes Australia goes against a Brazil. <laughs> and as much as you might love Australia because they're great players and they play great football, I guess it's just sometimes you're playing Brazil a little bit. <laughs> but um, the next one uh, is the closest voting that we had. This is so close. It is literally, I believe, one vote decided this and the matchup was patrick collison versus oprah winfrey and uh patrick won by 50.4 percent of the voting versus oprah's 49.6 percent of the voting i don't know i so close this is another one one went into triple overtime well but also as a pundit i feel like you know i feel like oprah really should have won this one Um, robbed I'm not necessarily robbed, but um, I, I, I'm going to... She's doing pretty well for someone who's been robbed. Uh. Fair, fair. Well, right. She literally so, lives in the promised land. We're going to talk about Oprah right here. Um, I'm going to toss to David. Um, I, I, I know why Oprah should have gone farther in this tournament. Um, but if you've got... Uh, team me up on Oprah. Oh, well, uh, this was one of the most fun acquired episodes that we did. Uh, when did we do this, Ben? Last summer, I a, think? A year ago. Yeah, a year ago. Oh, man. Oh, her story is just like, it is unreal. I mean, talk about like an entrepreneurial story. I mean, she came from like literally everything in the world stacked against her. I mean, She's born in America, right? Like that's that that's one card in her favor. But that was like the only card in her favor. I mean, uh, broken family, sexual abuse, uh, got got pregnant at 15, 16, I think. Very, very young. Uh, just unreal odds growing up in the South as a black woman at that time and became Oprah. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and and the two like chapters after that are when you say she became Oprah, it's worth noting the the entertainer that she became. Like I, I actually pulled the stat from our transcript uh, at peak. And this is before YouTube. This is before DVRs. So these are actual concurrent people tuning into her show. 44 million people would concurrently tune in to watch Oprah. Like uh, who captures that kind of live attention uh, like on an every afternoon basis, like it, uh, just an unbelievable amount of aggregation of attention. But the... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she needs to, she yeah needs to but like, I think any of these like streamer numbers, like nothing compares. No, no way. I mean, truly, no. unless you're at like you know, international sort of like China scale. Like I think like the League of Legends, you know, international like worlds, I think might, but, might but, compare. But I mean, to your point, the way in which people would watch television you know, in that era, I feel like was a lot more engaged, you know, it was a lot more like lean forward, like solely focused on that attention because there weren't all these notifications. There wasn't chat. There wasn't all these other ways to be involved. Well, but actually that's actually why I think she's important to be in here because, you know, people might say why in a theoretical, are we talking about tech entrepreneurs? Is she a tech entrepreneur? She has been an entrepreneur in media as it has evolved from the Three or yes. four channels to. I mean, the if modern. Evan Spiegel's in here, then she should be in here. Right? Absolutely. I mean, well, inventing uh, mediums and content to fill those mediums. Well, but not only transitioning from a different kind of media to a modern kind of media, but also the the person as a brand, the influencer would not exist without Oprah, right? 100%. There would be no goop without Oprah. That was right. That was the theme of our episode. Like she was the original influencer. And so the the concept, because listen, celebrities had been endorsing products and things like that before, but it wasn't that you were a curator of a lifestyle and a certain, like, it's not just that, um, you know, a, a certain person has paid a certain amount of money and, 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 you know, whatever, but it was Oprah's like, no, these are products that I believe in for my lifestyle that make my life better. And my philosophy of life is something that you will buy into 
as a consumer, as a business entity and things like that. That's it doesn't she creates that mold 1000%. And the incredible thing about Oprah, you know, like it's one thing to have a lot of views. You know, views don't don't put food on the table. But the way that Oprah was able to like constantly be reassessing her surroundings and aware of her power and influence in the world and create businesses leveraging that. I mean, she wasn't a for hire entertainer by the end. You know, she wasn't employed yeah. by people who wanted her on TV. She owned her production company. She, was she the started first, Harpo the, Media. Really the first person to say, I'm not going to just be talent. Like right. she was that, you know, like the Jay-Z line, like, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Like she Man. was the first, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a businesswoman. She was the first, uh, media personality to say that like nobody else had done that before of like, no, I'm not going to work for you. Like I'm going to own this and I'm going to produce it myself. And then I'll auction it off to the highest bidder. Where there have been bigger stars over the course of the last, let's say, 100 years. But they always worked for other people. You know, there's that Chris Rock joke of you think that um, uh, uh, an athlete is rich. No, the person that's rich is the person that signs their check. Like, so that's the point is that this concept of talent can be the business. It really kind of begins with her. 100%. Well, I mean, to, to, to literalize what you're saying, I mean, it's really self-ownership you know, in a way that is like transformational. Um, and to, to have the, I guess like the, the vision or the wisdom just to like realize the system that you're in and then to sort of like buy yourself out of it uh, so that you can like direct your own fate and then grow this massive business because you look at what everyone else is doing. It's like, I can do that. So giving yourself permission, I think to, to go on that path um, is the path of the entrepreneur. By the way, she's worth like two and a half to three billion dollars. So, like, lest yeah. anyone think that Oprah is just like famous for being famous, like, yeah. no, she's, she's, she's also she's, rich. Her personal wealth is like the market cap of Stitch Fix. <laughs> <laughs> she could buy a Stitch Fix. Uh, I want to pin Oprah by saying that she is the godmother of the creator economy, then to, yeah. to make it modern. Um, and I'm realizing now that, unfortunately, all three of the women in our list are all in a row here, which if you looked at how I did the brackets, wasn't true. They were on opposite sides, but now we're having to do them all in a row. Um, and they're all losing all in a row, although Oprah came so close. I don't know. Um, so the next matchup is Whitney Wolf Heard. Uh, versus Bill Gates, which is, a, again, another one of those, probably this is an impossible matchup. But I will say again, there were worse beats than Bill Gates won 80.1% to Whitney's 19.9%. I, I wanted her to be in this as the sort of the post-iPhone um, uh, app business model, but then there's so many other aspects as well to Bumble. Um, so... Um, who wants to take on Whitney here? I'm just looking up some stats here. Yeah, Bumble same. is worth she more than half of Lyft at this point. Like I, 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 like I was always sort of assessing, like how big can Bumble get? Really, like it's a ten billion dollar market cap company. It's well, I, one of the potentially other, bigger than Dropbox. Well, the, and the uh, the other thing we got to talk about here is um, it's not just Bumble. <laughs> she was a co-founder of Tinder too, <laughs> right? Mm. Well, so and that was that was another sort of uh, like what was it and not Enrico the 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 other co-founder of Zuck, of Zuckerberg of Facebook. Oh, Eduardo Saverin. Eduardo, thank you. Yes, exactly. Yes, who also got the boot. So she also had a similar fate, getting you know shanked by your co-founder and your your fellow leaders and by the system and saying screw you guys, I'm going to go do it my way and I'm going to build a better product that is more inclusive of uh, you know a whole set of people that are so interested in what I offer. a sign of an amazing entrepreneur which is screw you guys I'm going to bury you. You know. Yep. Like yep. I mean I and also like I, I don't uh, I think this is true. I may be speaking out of turn but um my recollection is that Match Group essentially owns and is half owned by, you know, if not half owned, maybe more than half owned by the Russian mafia or other interests abroad. <laughs> and that Bumble is the only one that is not. So 
not only you know to say screw you to silicon valley and the investor class and all the people who are in tinder but then to also turn to putin and say the same thing i think uh, you know suggests having uh, you know severe cojones and so i think that that's another reason why like um like the fact that they've stayed independent is actually a very unique choice in the dating marketplace I, uh, there's one more thing. This is a, a thesis I've been working on for the last couple of years, which is that the, the next generation of successful companies, it's not just going to be about getting to a market first, planning your flag, getting to scale. It's going to be about taste. And so this idea that so many, I mean, literally match.com was founded in 1994, I think. Like, so the idea that Bumble was successful because it it had taste it, it understood the the consumer and the market in a different way that was more conducive to how the market tasteful. actually functioned yes more tasteful exactly the idea that that women the way that this should work is you don't just it's match.com was well they were ahead of the curve in terms of the sort of spam and abuse is in the right term but like in terms of the negative behaviors that were happening on social media yep. and on Tinder and the sort of smarminess and the lack of protection for minorities and women, you know, I feel like Bumble got ahead of that. Like they were aware of it. They built in social interactions where, you know, the, the female members were the ones who initiated. And so prioritizing the female experience led to their outsized success relative okay. to the conventional functioning of dating apps at the time. I'm just laughing over here because I want to move us on like four, four dudes uh, try to tastefully talk <laughs> yeah. about why Bumble was better. Ha have, uh, having been someone yeah. who used it, like th the interaction of uh, you can't message a, a woman until she messages you first is like just freaking genius. Like, I, I, like it made, I mean, <laughs> that, 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 their first $5 billion in market cap were made on that, you know? But it's also yeah. the genius that is not genius if you're the, you know, the underrepresented founder that understands the side of the market that a male cis founder doesn't understand, right? You know, um, I, well, it's I, genius to believe in it and to pursue it and then to build product around it and then to convince people to come along with you. That's the genius. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash tech meme zocdoc.com slash tech meme with everybody fighting for attention how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast constant contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and sms marketing social media posting and even events management with constant contact you'll reach new audiences grow your customer list and communicate more effectively to sell more raise more and fast track growth don't know much about marketing no sweat constant contacts writing assistance tools and automation features Features, help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live
live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah. Um, the uh, I, I do want to move it on because we're gonna we're approaching an hour for our first round here, and we've got two more left. Um, I do believe that this is the worst uh, defeat of the whole <laughs> route tournament, and I only put these together for the cute reason of it's it's Larry Ellison versus Larry Page and Sergey Brin, so the battle of the Larrys. <laughs> uh, the Google guys. Won ninety three point three percent to Larry Ellison six point seven percent, and I don't know if any of us will have that much to say about Larry Ellison because I feel like most people don't like Larry Ellison either. But <laughs> this feels like the... too much of a beatdown to me, though. Like, okay, I, I'll be yeah, a villain for Larry for, for I mean, Ellison here. I, okay, make the case because I can do one too. But uh, David, hit it. Uh, so. The, well, okay. The case for why Larry Ellison at least should have, you know, performed better amongst Twitter users versus Larry and Sergey would be Larry and Sergey had one good idea once, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know it was a really, really good idea. But they had one good idea once, and what have they done since? Larry, you know, sort of back to our you know Mark versus Jack. Uh, discussion like this dude built a freaking empire like brick by brick over decades uh and uh you know say what you will about larry uh <laughs> he is a character uh, uh non uh, uh par excellence uh <laughs> but uh but that guy is an entrepreneur through and through is that this is a different kind of entrepreneur where you do cobble together your empire. It's not just you have the one idea, you have the one great company. Oracle has, first of all, Oracle, I wanted him in here. I wanted Oracle to be represented because, you know, it represents the, I think the modern, um, it's definitely a hardware company, but like the modern enterprise company, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, this is the modern IBM where since the internet era began, people, have turned to Oracle to make it happen. But Oracle didn't have all of the tools at the beginning. So it's been a series of acquisitions. It's been create cobbling together this empire, just like the person that we're going to get to next in the in the next matchup. But um, so I think that again, the, like the modern definition of a company that grows by acquisition, that becomes a conglomerate that 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 serves all of the needs of its customer base. Um, is not no, just one no trick Oracle, pony. no Amazon. Like right, Amazon right. ran on Oracle until recently. <laughs> as as you can hear on the Fine Internet History podcast, when Brian interviewed the first right. engineer, the first hire at Amazon, I, like it's a crazy interview hearing about how the like you know the fastest way to market and the most performant database was an Oracle one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit my, I feel like this is like an aesthetic bias, but I feel like Larry Ellison is just of an era of entrepreneurs, I mm. suppose, or Silicon Valley people that just, he's kind of like John McAfee in my mind, like the two mm. I can't quite <laughs> distinguish. And I just, I think about Oracle and I kind of cringe a little bit. And so I have yeah, that they bias have that, that I, they have that, 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 that great headquarters that you can't miss when you come from the airport yes. to San Francisco. <laughs> That's the part of my point. The database I mean, headquarters. <laughs> I, I yeah, always assumed I, that the the cylinders of the Oracle headquarters yeah, are me made too, to look right? like those database. are databases, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're not the real databases. Yeah. <laughs> or the other way around. I mean, maybe. Oh, that's maybe, why we have maybe. That, that is because, mm. like, that's kind of a silly abstract concept for a data store, right? That's true. Like hard drives. I, yeah. Is it stacked like, discs? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Back back when they All used right. to use like yeah instead of yeah, before um, solid state drives. So, sorry, Larry. Twitter doesn't like you, but you built a two hundred oh, and fifty billion dollar business. You know, one of the reasons <laughs> is probably to tie this back into the whole uh, your your um, Andreessen Horowitz thing, the whole Netscape thing is one of the reasons that um, Jim Clark wanted to uh, become a billionaire is because he was jealous of of Larry Ellison's yachts and things <laughs> like that. So Larry Ellison has <laughs> been making a being a billionaire his business for. <laughs> 
quite yeah, a while. Yeah, he set now. the culture for all exactly. Long time. Yeah. That, no, no. Yeah, I, feel like, Chris I feel like Zuck, Zuck and, and Bill Gates are not in the model. You're right. Of because Larry Ellison. Chris, you said that he's of a different generation. And I think you're right in a way. Like he is sort of, he's closer. I feel like if, he's more like a Bond villain. You know, and that yes. just resonate for our generation. He's yeah. like 80s Wall Street meets tech. Yes. Yes. Like Coke and <laughs> Blow, like that's their whole jam. And, you know, yachts and buying ostentious. I, I will thing. say, uh, Jenny and I word, were but, in yeah. Lanai uh, this summer. Oh, uh, we did a little, did a little baby moon in. Uh, in uh, Lanai on on Larry Ellison's you know island oh. that he owns, and it was <laughs> very nice. It was very nice. I it, uh, uh, Larry Larry is like islands. <laughs> yeah, Larry, give you a call and say, "Hey, we got a spot for you. You should come right. in." I saw him. Uh, really? No. Uh, there are two <laughs> hotels on the island, uh, and uh, you you can book either, even normal people like us. Uh, but yeah, we saw him at one of the hotels. Like, yeah, it was amazing. And dude drives a Corvette, you know, which is like a really you know nice. But uh, I I would have. I would not have expected oh, that. Wait, no, that's I would have. Perfect that's a fucking cliche. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I would have there you go. See, it's the whole '80s supervillain thing. I don't know. I'm I'm not letting this one go, dude. I watch Miami Vice Diablo, and... but yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So for th- to round off our round of sixteen, and uh, to round off this uh, first episode, um, another beatdown that uh i feel like is kind of similar but also speaking of hawaii (laughs) it's one of those things (laughs) where like you you, you can't what are you gonna do uh mark benioff went it went against steve jobs um and steve jobs won 90.3 percent to 9.7 percent but i can make for sure a case for mark benioff for the SaaS era for yeah. like, come on, guys. Like, but I feel like even yeah. Mark Benioff was voting for Steve Jobs. That's true. Like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. But here's, uh, all right. This, here, here, here's yeah, an interesting. Ahead. So I don't know the um, uh, just to like throw out an interesting point of view. Like every generation of tech is so much bigger than the previous generation because technology and the internet reaches so many more people than it ever did before, and it's compounding, and you have population growth and all this stuff. I wonder if Steve Jobs, in all the value creation he did at Apple until his his uh, unfortunate early death, is actually less than the total amount of value that Mark mm. Benioff has created at Salesforce, just mm. because of like how much of Apple's market cap today has come from the Tim Cook era. And like this is a silly mm. straw man because at the end of the day, like Apple is. Apple because of Steve Jobs, so it all is really attributable to him. But it is this interesting thing to observe that like most of the growth, like most of the value in the entire tech ecosystem, uh, has been added in the last ten years. And there are companies that are sort of doing the playbook that Mark Benioff sort of. um, I don't. Can can we say that he? discovered it or what it was maybe just the most the the, the first person and he marketed really... SaaS, right he right. kind of like i don't want to say put it on the map but in the sense that he the, established... logo, the original logo was yeah. software with a red you know x yeah. through it like <laughs> right right so he was like you know that and i i think ben like you make a really interesting point like the the nexus of those two phenomenon mobile computing devices and cloud software had to sort of happen together so there had to be a legitimization of both because what the iphone did was it took a communications device an internet communicator and a music player all together <laughs> these are all one device you get <laughs> are you getting it are you getting it <laughs> I'll right. do that and, in our sleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll that. talk about Steve Jobs at some point, but like just the greatest presentation any human has ever made, that yes. 2007 keynote. Well, that and and then you know we could go back to uh, of course the mother of all demos, but that was sort of yes. you know setting the stage for all the rest of it. But nonetheless, I do think that uh, those two things together, the cloud era and the mobile computing era, and both eating the enterprise world of the folks we just talked about is what led to so much you know growth and development um we'll probably save our conversation or, or or comments about steve jobs until later but you know i think that mark benioff is a strange like he is a i don't know i'm thinking about like the batman universe like he's sort of you know a, a he's, he's almost, i don't want like he's not like two-faced in the sense that he's like 
Well, he's not evil, but you know, he has like that strain of kind of persistence, but then comes from like, you know, maybe a good or warm heart kind of thing. And so he's kind of in this ambivalence, uh, like I have an ambivalent sentiment, I think generally towards him. I've been in Salesforce tower and I'm like, this is a big, large phallic thing in the middle of San Francisco, <laughs> but yes, the is. guy that built it is supposed to be like a nice guy and gives to charity. So I don't really, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the vibe is here. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm just kind of left with between those two, you know, the texture and the grit and the dirt of like Steve jobs, like feels like you can just dive in there. Like, you know, I'd rather probably, you know, have a cocktail with like, I don't know Steve jobs does cocktails, maybe a joint, you know, with Steve jobs rather than Benny LSD. Uh, yeah. I, know, I, I, I think, I think Mark would be pretty fun to party with. Uh, true. <laughs> like both. He's, he's both. He's and. the enterprise sales guys, enterprise sales guy. As long as he's not selling me the whole time on SaaS. It could be fun. <laughs> well, listen, I'm I'm gonna bring this episode to a close because we're almost exactly an hour. When will we talk about Steve Jobs? What will we say about Steve Jobs? You're going to have to tune in to episode two to find out. Uh, thank you to all of the people on the panel here, David, Ben, Chris. Um, tune in next week for episode two to find out who makes it through the. Uh, are we allowed to say uh, Elite Eight? No, probably not. <laughs> the route, lowercase e. The, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals, and find out who won the hashtag World Cup of Entrepreneurs. Talk to you next time. 